How the party used silence to save a dying town. The party consists of a Kalashtar warlock, a kobold sorcerer, a lizardfolk alchemist, a half-orc barbarian, a drow death cleric, and a bugbear ranger. The campaign started with them arriving in Inanna, a new continent having been awarded a huge mansion in the city of Picani, along with traveling expenses by a rich eccentric old man they saved back on Feyrun. During their travels to the city, they pissed off some sort of angry forest entity that has been hunting them as the BBEG of the campaign. They had also been acquiring a ton of healing potions, since they didn't really have a good healer. Death Cleric hasn't been much help, by choice. They saved a famous painter on the way from a kobold attack, who agreed to repay them by painting a grand portrait of the party that he assured would be worth almost as much as their mansion would be, and they agreed to it. After they finally arrived in Picani, they lived their lives for about a week before receiving a letter. I had printed the letter out on an old-timey paper template and scorched and torn it in a very particular way, and handed it to Lars, the alchemist. The letter said, My dearest friend Lars, it has been many years since we last saw each other. Word travels fast here, and I hear you recently moved to Picani. I would love to see you and treat you to a nice meal. I'd be thrilled for you to meet my wife and six children, too. Feel free to bring your entire entourage to my house in Siu Sirijuk, just a few hours south of Picani. Roast. They all set off to the south to head toward the town of Siu Sirijuk. When they're about half a mile from the town, they get attacked once more by the BBEG. After a few rounds, the entity moves closer to the party and starts clutching its head and moaning painfully before fleeing around later. The party decides they scared it off and continues to the town. In reality, the entity entered the False Hydra's range and recognized the threat, deciding to retreat for now. At this point, I let the current song that I was playing end and pretended that I just forgot to start a new song. In reality, I started a white noise loop on the speaker, very quietly, and over the course of the session I slowly increased the volume and would occasionally silence it making everyone feel as if there was a loud noise that suddenly stopped that they never noticed before. This of course signifies the times the Hydra wasn't singing. I would see players perk up when it happened, but no one spoke up about it. The party is welcomed by Roast and invited in for dinner. Partially through dinner at the table that conveniently sits eight people, the alchemist speaks up and asks where Roast's family is. Roast of course denies having a family and even claims he's not the type to settle down. He's got potions to brew after all, and this town allows easy access to the black market. When shown the letter, he claims he must have been drunk when he wrote it. Fittingly, after getting extremely drunk, everyone wanders upstairs to sleep. The barbarian collapses in the master bed, while the rest conveniently find six beds between the two rooms to sleep in. The next morning, they wake up nicely tucked in their beds and are treated to a big breakfast by roast. One of the party members points out that Rose seems to be able to make a large amount of food unusually quickly, which their host hand waves away. While eating, Roast asks for assistance from the party. He's been having difficulty getting his supply of illegal potion ingredients due to the local mafia's fences not showing up to their scheduled meeting places. So, he asks the party to meet with a fence he knows frequents the barber shop every evening this day of the week. The party agrees, and Roast offers them free use of the house and leaves for his daily business. The party, having time to kill, explores the town. The kobold sorcerer suspects Roast of hiding something, so he stays behind to inspect the house. He finds alchemical supplies and a suspicious amount of clothing in the house. 
mostly children's, with a wardrobe full of women's clothing in the master bedroom. The rest of the party notice a large empty manor in the center of town that everyone refers to as the Lord's Manor, even though everyone denies that the town ever had a lord. They stop by the tavern, run by a married couple of elves and their eight-year-old son. The elves built the tavern, which was one of the oldest buildings in the town. Even they deny ever having a lord, but can't remember why a lord's manor was built. They blamed it on some racist ideas about humans. They headed off to the market, which has a sparse population with plenty of empty stalls, some with products still on display. The barbarian finds a smith to clean up his axe to pass the time. The warlock heads to the barber shop for a new haircut and starts gossiping with the barber. The barber says that many scandals have erupted in town, with single women finding men's clothing in their homes, men being accused of hiding the mothers of their children that no one remembers, and more. Plenty of houses lie empty and dusty. Afterward, she heads to the town's guard post and asks about the weird things going on. The guard says that there have been plenty of reports of breaking and enterings, but nothing gets stolen, and many accuse the perpetrators of putting other people's stuff in their house. Strangely, no one has reported this stuff missing, so they don't take action after an initial investigation. The alchemist meets up with the sorcerer, and they head to the post office in search for Roast's P.O. box, which is labeled Mr. and Mrs. Roast. Totally suspecting him of murdering his family and hiding the bodies, they head to the library. During a period in which I silence the white noise, the ranger slips and falls, and when she stands, she finds her outfit smeared with blood. At this point, I turn the noise back on, and when the ranger searches for where the blood came from, she finds no leads, other than the puddles she slipped on. When she tries to show the others later in the day, they can't find it. The sun starts to get low in the sky, so most of the party heads to the barber shop. The cleric stays in the tavern to drink, while the sorcerer and alchemist dig up census data, town charters, and more at the library. The party members who went to meet the fence learn that there are supposedly only two fences in the town, and they always know where the other is. If Roast wanted to meet with them, he must be screwing up the dead drops somehow. But if Roast really needs to do business, he'll be at the usual spot tomorrow around noon. The sorcerer and alchemist find through the census records that the town should have roughly twice as many people as it seems to have, and they do indeed have a lord. In fact, town records show the lord allocated taxpayer funds for a festival two weeks prior. They also learn that Roast's address is marked as having eight occupants. They write everything down, smart thing to do, and get the rest of the party, minus the cleric, to join them, and they explain to each other what they learned. They receive a note from Roast's familiar that dinner is ready when they are. They collect the two drunk-to-wall cleric and head back to meet their host. They have a tense dinner as they tell Roast what the fence said, while heavily suspecting him of using magic to mess with the town and possibly kill his family off. They just don't know how he's removing everyone's memories of the victims. They don't want to start anything without knowing what he's capable of. They refrain from drinking that night and head off to bed, soon drifting off to sleep. Here's where the real fun starts. The Kaloshtar warlock wakes up in the middle of the night extremely thirsty. She wanders downstairs to the main room, pauses a moment, worried to go outside to the well alone at night, but decides she's worrying about nothing and goes outside. She takes a drink from the well cup and goes back to bed without anything of note happening. The fun thing about Kaloshtars is they are linked with a spirit that can't directly talk to them. Instead of dreaming, they relive that spirit's memories from other Kaloshtars it connected to in the past. Tonight, she relived the night she just played out. She woke up, walked downstairs, and saw a man she didn't recognize, screaming and being pulled out a window, leaving a large blood trail. After seeing this, she calmly walks outside, gets a drink, and goes back to bed. Everyone wakes up the next morning in the empty house. They have been squatting in the last couple of nights. 
The barbarian wakes up in a child-sized bed to his own left arm punching him awake right in the face. Everyone meets in the hall, and the warlock tells her weird dream. As they head to the main room of the bottom floor, they indeed find a large trail of blood, leading from the counter in the kitchen, across the floor, and out a broken window, whose glass is laying on the floor, just like in her dream. After investigating the counter, they find a potion of deafness that affects anyone who inhales it, next to a gas mask and a journal. In the journal, the author claims that he had faked being drunk so he could test his deafness potion on his guests, confident that it wouldn't harm them. He deafened them, made a bunch of noise, but no one woke up. This proved his success, and the potion's effects were worn off by morning. The ranger asks why they're even in the town to begin with, when the alchemist remembers the letter she got. She pulls it out and reads it aloud to the party. My dearest friend Lars, oh god help me, it has been many years since we last saw each other. Word travels fast here, and the town dies even faster, and I hear you recently moved to Picani. I would love to see you, and treat you to a nice meal. I'd be thrilled for you to meet my wife and six children too. Please save us. Feel free to bring your entire entourage to my house in Siusarijuk, just a few hours south of Picani. Hurry, it's eating everyone. Roast. I swapped the letters without the alchemist player noticing, and made sure to tear and scorch both letters in the same exact way. The players freaked out, and I deny any involvement until after the session. In character, they decide they better step up their investigation. The kobold compares the letter and his notes, and concludes that they were staying in this rose guy's house, and something must have happened to him. Likely the same cause as all the other weird stuff in town. They head outside and notice the door is broken in the house across the street, and they investigate that. They find that the house is empty and covered in about a week of dust, with rotting food still on the stove. The cleric finds drag marks leading from the front door into the street, where the traffic has erased it from being followed. Session 1 ends. The players are a little disappointed that there was no combat, but were so interested in the events that they were okay with it. A week later, the session begins right where the last left off. Make sure to check out the first part if you haven't. Link is in description. The party stops by the tavern, since they notice a few angry patrons leaving. They enter and see the orphan elf struggling to run the entire tavern on his own. He is unable to remember how he held the tavern together all on his own, or how it's been open for 150 years by his family if he has none. But he's too busy to worry about that and shoes the party off. They start literally chanting, Manor! 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 Both IC and OOC as they head straight to the Lord's Manor and demand to be led in by the guard. The guard, intimidated by this weird mob, demands they disperse this illegal congregation at once. They manage to persuade him, and he agrees to let them look around for one hour. As they head inside, the warlock senses a faint magical signature from upstairs. Everyone heads upstairs, except for the cleric and sorcerer, who head to the basement after a quick sweep of the ground floor. Inside the basement, the cleric rolls a nat 20 investigation and discovers a secret passage inside a particularly large wine barrel that leads into a cave system. Upstairs, the rest find a room with a crystal ball that had been used for divination in the writing of a flora and fauna of a Nana book in the same room. After flipping through searching for anything related to memories, they find an entry labeled the False Hydra. After reading what a False Hydra is, the warlock yells, STAY OUT OF THE BASEMENT! which prompts the cleric and sorcerer to head upstairs. They meet in the foyer and catch each other up. The guard pops in and says, All right, time's up. You lot clear out of here. Despite only a half hour passing, the barbarian knocks him out and ties him up. While they discuss what to do next, they hear footsteps coming up the stairs. They all prepare for a fight, the alchemist with her hand on the cork of the deafness potion. The door opens and outsteps the fence they met the night before. 
What are you guys doing? He asks, before the party responds in kind. He says, Someone left the secret door open, and I come up to see a tied-up guard? What is wrong with you people? Hurry up and come downstairs. Upon further questioning, assisted by high intimidation rolls, the fence reveals that this secret passage is the usual spot where the Mafia does its black market business most of the time. They come out in a large cavern full of supplies and carts and whatnot, but devoid of anyone else. The fence explains that the town has miles and miles of old kobold tunnels under it that make convenient clandestine travel pathways. Especially since he's the only fence in town, the party, deciding that the false hydra must be in the tunnels, take the potion that I said would last for four hours and head in, despite the fence insisting they'd only get lost without a map of the tunnels. Once they deafen themselves, I stop the white noise permanently. I also inform them that everything that has happened to them from the start of the campaign to when they deafen themselves, two months later in real time, two weeks in game time, has been a flashback. It's how their characters remember it happening. After traveling for a while and disabling old kobold traps, they find a brood room full of broken eggs, which they determine to be about three weeks old. The sorcerer concludes that the false hydra must have eaten the kobolds first and made its way up to the town, likely devastating the mafia in the crossfire. The party communicates through the Kaloshtar's mind link and minor illusion spells. They find a tunnel to the surface and emerge. The first thing they notice is that there are blood smears everywhere, on the street, on houses, and even bits of gore laying around. Next, they notice three long necks stretching up over the rooftops, ending in grotesque heads, their horrible mouths hanging open, clearly singing the song that they no longer hear. A fourth head drags a fresh corpse between two houses. A woman trips over a neck and gets up, walking on as if it never happened. In fact, the townsfolk are all completely oblivious to these things. They try their best to act as if they don't notice, so as not to attract the Hydra's attention as they head to the town guard headquarters. Inside, they tell the guard captain and his lieutenant about the situation and disclose their evidence. There was still some deafness potion left, and the guard agrees to assist and take some. They decide to find the lair. They'd be better off finding the base of a neck and following it. A head gets a little too close, and the lieutenant panics, swinging his sword at it. The head chomps down on him, nearly biting him in half and dragging his corpse off, as the party pretends they don't notice. They follow the head from a short distance into a house's basement where they find a tunnel. It isn't long before they enter a large hollow, where they see the head consuming what's left of the lieutenant. Further back, they see the main body, a horrible swollen mass of flesh, with four additional necks going up into the ceiling through their own tunnels. The captain charges the head in a vengeful fury for his lieutenant. The other four heads burst into the cavern as the fight goes on. The captain quickly dies. A party member goes down, and the rest have low health, but they manage to kill it. They hear panic screaming from above and run outside, finding the town in a panic now that they can see everything as it really is. The four remaining town guards approach and are clued into what happened. The party extorts them out of some tax money before returning home. They receive a letter on the way that their portrait is finished, and the painter took the liberty of hanging it in their common room. As they enter the town, the alchemist deafens herself just in case, revealing a complete lack of false hydras in their home city, much to the now paranoid party's relief. As they enter their common room, they see the grand painting. They quickly notice a seventh person in the painting, and they panic, very aware that they must have been lost to the hydra. The seventh person is a half-orc, half-dwarven woman, clearly dressed in the raiment of a life cleric of Luthic, our half-orc barbarian's hand on her shoulder. They all check themselves for anything that's not theirs, and notice a distinct lack of healing potions. The alchemist has a bag of holding, and when she reaches in, she pulls out a shining golden maul, with a mud-encrusted diary tied to it with twine. The diary's inside is mostly ruined with mud and water, but there are a few entries later in the diary that are legible. 
The first few were snippets of their journey to Pekani, with the final entry talking about how she dropped the diary in the mud during the last fight with the forest entity, but the alchemist promised to try and fix it when they returned home. She reveals herself to be the barbarian's wife, talking of their past together, their future plans, and hopefully children. The last thing she writes is that she can't sleep and will take a walk around town to clear her head. The barbarian takes the golden plus one mall and the diary and quietly returns to his room. He doesn't remember there being a woman's set of clothing or various other womanly trinkets in his room, but he doesn't question it at all. The session ends there. What an incredible setup and execution of a false hydra. I get chills every time I think about it. The subtle hints and clues the DM left for his players were masterful. Did you figure it out before the reveal? Please let us know and comment below. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel, All Things D&D. Our next video will be posted in three days, so stay tuned for more amazing Dungeons & Dragons content. Ha, 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 ha!